Hey everybody, this is Pierre Quinn and you're listening to episode number 99 of the Leading Wild Green podcast where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, we are talking with Tony Saldana. Tony Saldana is the president of Transformant, a consulting firm specializing in assisting organizations through digital transformations. He is also the author of the new book, Why Digital Transformations Fail, The Surprising Disciplines of How to Take Off and Stay Ahead. We have a great conversation as Tony breaks down what exactly a digital transformation is and how we can create digital transformations in our company. We have a great conversation. So listen up. Can you believe that we made it to episode number 99? And I want to thank each and every one of you who have been supporting this podcast. This has been an incredible journey for me, and I hope it's been an incredible journey for you. We've had some amazing guests on this podcast. If you go back through the previous 98 episodes, I mean, heavy hitters, authors and consultants, influencers, people who are making a difference in the world, in the world who came on the podcast to freely share with you some great information to help you grow as a leader. So I hope you haven't been selfish and kept it to yourself. I know some of you haven't. You've shared on social media. You left a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You even ask Alexa to play the latest episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast. All you've done to share and promote and support this podcast, I just want to say thank you once again. Hey, are we connected on social media? I hope we are. And I release a lot of just 10 tidbits and updates on social media. And I want to hang out with you there. So on Instagram, it's at Pierre Quinn on Twitter, at Pierre Quinn on LinkedIn, Pierre Quinn, and on Facebook, Mr. Pierre Quinn. Now that's my page on Facebook. So let's, let's get connected on social media if we're not connected already. And I got some amazing things on, on the horizon and it's going to be on, I'm going to share it on social media first. Or maybe I'll share it on my mailing list first and you can get on my mailing list at PRCCoin.com and then on social media. But I want to I want to be connected to you on social media. My guest on this episode is Tony Saldana. Tony is the president of Transformit, a consulting firm specializing in assisting organizations through digital transformations. During his 27-year career at Procter & Gamble, he ran both operations and digital transformation for Procter & Gamble's famed global business services and IT organization in every region of the world, including ending up as vice president of global business services, Next Generation Services. He is an advisor to boards and CEOs on digital transformation, a sought-after speaker, and a globally awarded industry thought leader. His new book is Why Digital Transformations Fail, The Surprising Disciplines of How to Take Off and Stay Ahead. Here's my conversation with Tony Saldana. Tony, thanks for being my guest today. Thank you, Pierre. Uh, Thanks for having me. So take us back a few years to chat with us about, about your collegiate experience and during that section of your life. How did you see your career or your future looking from from a college student perspective? Oh, um, that takes me back. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I actually did uh, most of my education in India. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up in India. I, uh, I'm a native of India. And, um, you know, to be very, very honest, um, 
I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to be, right? And, you know, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, this is the same advice I give my two daughters who are 25 and 26 years old. Um, so I first thought I wanted to be a, a mechanical engineer. And after having done some internship in a truck manufacturing factory, I figured out, well, no, that was too dirty and too much work. So I, I wanted to work in an office. Um, so, um, so I then went on to do my MBA um, and uh, did my MBA in marketing and finance. And then as um, as uh, jobs came to uh, the college, it became evident that IT was the next big thing. Uh, so that's where I went. You know, that's where I started working in the IT area. And even then, um, you know, after having worked four or five years, I figured, hey, you know, I, the, the world's looking at me like I'm, in a I'm a technical expert. Hmm. And that's not what I want to be. I want to go back to marketing. So I tried once again and, uh, you know, then, then, then figured out, you know, it really didn't matter whether I worked in marketing or IT, I mean, you know, what all I wanted to do was add value and have a lot of fun. And I think that's maybe the best lesson I've learned uh, throughout my career. So you've had quite a few pivots and, and navigating the landscape of figuring out what you want to do. What's, what's your advice for people who are early in their career? Maybe they're doing their MBA, maybe their entry-level position, and they're thinking about making a move because what they're looking at doesn't quite fit them, but you know, they're hearing everyone's voices in their head, but part of them says, no, I need to pivot maybe to a different area or a different niche or a different industry altogether. What advice would you give them? What I would do is, uh, what, I, uh, what I would tell them is that um, it's, it's perfectly fine. I mean, uh, there is no um, uh, concrete path that uh, works for everybody, right? Um, so you've got to discover what works for you. Um, if you're going to work and feeling like, hey, you know, I have no passion for this work. I, um, I'm not sure why I'm doing this. Um, then I think it's fine to change, right? Um, now, on the other side of the spectrum, and this is also advice I give my daughters, uh, keep in mind that it's okay to be idealistic, hmm. but even the best job in the world has 20% of stuff that, you know, is, is, is like politics or stuff that you you know, feel like you hate doing, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So as long as you keep that ratio in mind, right, on an 80-20 basis, if you feel like, you know, hey, you know, this is okay, um, I could be in worse places, um, then, you know, it's, it may be fine, yeah, you may be okay there. Well, speaking, speaking of career and a section of things that you might not like doing, how did you deal with that in your 27, 27 years at, PNG. I mean, Procter and Gamble is like a huge, mega, massive thing. How, how did you how did you navigate that experience of knowing as as a senior level position with tons of responsibility, but then there's a percentage of it that you don't really like doing? How did how did you get through that? Um, <laughs> I, I think I was fortunate. I mean, uh, uh, the, the great thing about Procter and Gamble is that. Uh, it is considered to be, you know, um, one of the best training companies in the world for mm -hmm. leaders. And, and, and one of the reasons for that, I think, is because you get so much mentorship, right? Um, so uh, I had the, 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 the extreme privilege of actually having worked in six different countries in the world and of having, you know, some really, really uh, great leaders uh, as mentors. One of them um, uh, who's, who's actually written the foreword to my book is uh, Robert McDonald who um, was CEO of the company and then went on to be um, 
the uh, secretary of the VA for President Obama. And so, you know, one of the things I learned from them was this 80-20 rule, right, which is, you know, you have to kind of keep things in perspective, right? You have to look at all of the strengths that you have and all of the things that you can do that's within your control. Because there's always, especially in a large company, going to be many things that's out of your control. Right? Um, and as long as you can focus on your own strengths and what you can do that's within your control, and as long as you, know, you are able to manage the other 20%, um, you know, you're in a good place. I mean, you, know, you don't have to worry too much about it. The mistake I think I made earlier in my career is I used to get frustrated too easily. Um, <laughs> you know, when things were not perfect. And uh, I had a lot of coaching on, on how to, you know, keep things in perspective. When you look at your work as a consultant, how, how would you say your experience as an author has come around and supported your work uh, in the consulting space? I think, um, you know, honestly, the, the best thing that helps me in my consulting career is actually the, the hands-on experience that I've had, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the work that I've done as an author um, has essentially, I think, uh, made my thoughts a little clearer on the framework and uh, the structure of how to do things. And so it's really the blend of that. What I find in my consulting work is, as I'm speaking with other senior leaders, um, they appreciate nothing more than somebody that's actually been in the trenches, faced the same problems they have, right? And that's really what gets me into, you know, the door and into their hearts and stuff like that. And then when I apply some of the concepts and structures, you know, they're, they're, they're willing to listen. In contrast, um, if I were a pure consultant, I'd never really done as much hands-on work. And I went and talked about uh, frameworks and models. I, I, I think I'd be shown the door very quickly. <laughs> So let, let's let's talk about your consulting area of expertise and digital transformations. Uh, can you help us set some groundwork or some 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 basic fundamental definitions? Because some of us are thinking, uh, okay, digital transformation. I got everybody on my team, MacBook Pros, and everybody got has iPhones. We're 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 up to speed. We're digital. So so help you us. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and by the way. Um, uh, you know, you joke about this, Pierre, but you know you're you're absolutely right. This is this is a very very confusing and overhyped area. Um, uh, just just you know, uh, thirty seconds of, of context uh, before I get to your question. So I had the opportunity in my last few years at Procter and Gamble to set up an ecosystem with you know the top five IT services companies in the world and the top ten venture capitalists around digital transformation. And in the process, I actually went out and talked to 100 different leaders and executives, small companies, big companies, VCs, consultants. And I asked them all, among other things, one question. How do you define digital transformation? And to your point, Pierre, I got 100 different answers, <laughs> all the way from, oh, don't worry about it. This is all hype. You know, we used to have digital watches in the 1970s. You know, this is not going to do anything, all the way through, oh, you got to be really, really careful. You know, those robots are going to come for your job. So, so you, you do have a range of answers. So here's the way I put this into context, right? Um, I love history. I put it into a historical context. We're in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution. Hmm. Um, and the, the first three were caused by, you know, a mechanical and steam engines and, and uh, electricity and the internet 
But the fourth one is basically an ingredient. It's digital technologies, not by itself, but the effect of digital technologies on the physical world, you know, drones and stuff like that, on biological, so genetics, um, and social, right, social media and stuff like that. So it's not the technology by itself. It's basically how everything else is being transformed as a result of the technology. And so that's called digital disruption. That's what's leading to, you know, Walmart versus Amazon or smart cars or, you know, social media. Digital transformation is very simple. It's basically how you rewire yourself as a company, as an individual, as a country to change from being successful in the third industrial revolution to being successful in the fourth, right? So, for example, what's happening in retail? Well, you know, uh, physical stores are fine, but you also have to do something digitally, right, online. So that's rewiring, that's digital transformation. You know, let's take smart cars, right? I mean, you know, yes, you can do gas uh, engines for a long time, but, you know, how do you get to the next stage, you know? That's mm -hmm. digital transformation. So that's basically what it is. It's how do you create a new generation of products, how do you create a new business model? So, you know, online versus retail. Or how do you change the efficiency of your internal operations? Or all of the above. And that's that's how I define digital transformation. Now, talk to us about resolving some of the conflict between uh, individuals who we consider maybe digital natives, like, yes. like my children who grew yes. up and the, they've grown up with screens, things in their hands, they acclimate to technology really well, and they go into college and they're in the workspace versus uh, maybe my parents or my grandparents who are still in the workforce and are these digital immigrants. Like yes. they, grad, they, they move from analog to a digital space. How, how do we make these relationships? Because like you said, it's not just the technology, it's how the technology impacts other things like the working relationship. And how do we mitigate some of that tension? And, 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 and that is a fantastic question because I think you've, you've gotten to the essence of what my book is. You know, digital transformation is only about 10% digital and about 90% transformation. Right? Hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, our, excuse me, our parents or, you know, I, I love the term digital immigrants um, that picked up new skills, um, as long as they are open to applying digital technology to what they know and do best, because they have immense experience. They have subject matter expertise. They may not have the dexterity of you know, moving their fingers on the keyboard, but that's okay as long as they're open to understanding how to transform, how they can change work processes, how they can change products, how they can change relationships by using digital they will be extremely successful. And that's really what history has taught us about industrial revolutions. It's not necessarily the people with the highest IQ or necessarily the best expertise with the technology. It's people that actually blend things across fields, right? They are able to apply the latest technology into whatever they do best. Those are the people that win. Uh, I think I remember seeing... Uh, like a meme, I think, or maybe a joke on the internet. You know, if it's on the internet, <laughs> it has to be true. Uh, a quote from, I think it was maybe Bill Gates, who said, you know, he didn't go to a lot of his classes when he was in college, but a good friend of his went to every class, excelled in school, and now that good friend works for him yes. <laughs> in his yes. company. So um, yes. to go along with what you were saying. Now, it, even if we 
develop a plan to work through that tension. And we have individuals who are willing to to learn and study and be adaptable. And you have uh, maybe younger or more technologically adept individuals who are willing to train and be supportive. Why do you suggest um, in, in, in your research and in your book that most of the time this fails, even with all of our great intentions and capital and support, most of the time, 70% of the time, digital transformations fail. Yes. Um, yes. And, and, and it is a, a little bit of a horrifying statistic. Um, so here's, here's uh, what's happening. And I like to put things into context. Uh, digital transformation is a relatively young field, right? And, and that's one of the reasons I, I picked up, uh, you know, a lot of my lessons to reapply to digital transformation from the aviation uh, world where, you know, during the First World War, I mean, it was basically all skill, uh, you know, uh, flying on a, a, a prayer on a wing, as they said, uh, to eventually, by the Second World War, essentially becoming, you know, pretty much a science on how to take off and land, right? And that's really what's happening. So the, the field is evolving. I think the reason digital transformations fail is two things that we have to learn our way out of very quickly. Firstly, we have to cut through this hype of what exactly is digital transformation. That's why I loved your question on, can you define it? I wish more leaders would spend a lot of time saying, you know, let me define what digital transformation means for my company mm-hmm. or for me as an individual, right? Because it is different for everybody, right? What it is not, certainly not, is it's not a technology. It's not a program that you buy from a consulting uh, <laughs> organization. It is basically how you rewire yourself, right? Uh, so that's one. Okay, the second uh, of the two reasons why digital transformations fail is that the approach and the methodology. That's why you know I mentioned this as a surprising discipline of how to take off and stay ahead. The approach that is followed in digital transformation is is actually a little outdated. The approach that most people follow is one of IT project management, right? Which mm. is you have some money, you have some work, you know, get it done. You know, you you, you manage the tension. Mm-hmm. What that does not incorporate is two things. It does not incorporate the need to completely rewire and reimagine stuff, right? So if you were a car manufacturer in, in the gas era and you could not imagine a totally different architecture using electricity, then it doesn't really matter how well you manage your project. It's just not going to get there, right? Uh, so that's one thing. The second thing it does not do uh, the methodology doesn't do currently, is that it does not allow for organizational transformation. You have to understand uh, in, in, in a digital transformation, if you're leading it, that um, you are going to have to rewire the way your organization thinks, acts, much more agility, you know, a different subject matter expertise. So it's not about setting up a small little innovation factory and doing some things in, in, in isolation. It's how you change the entire organization, and that doesn't get addressed. So those are the two things, you know, um, clarity on what is digital transformation and an updated methodology on how to rewire yourself. Let, let's bring this into, into the, the retail space. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to a Home Depot, a home improvement store, yeah. and I went there because I went on the website and I was looking for a particular construction fan. I get in the store, it gives me the location on the, on the app, tells me the location, I can't find it. I approach a salesperson and they look at my phone and say, 
with frustration. Uh, we don't have it. Here's what we have. Now, I scratch my head because I'm thinking, okay, it's on the app. It says it's in the store. A couple of days ago, I need to get something else from Home Depot. And it shows me where it is in the store. And I said, I'm not doing this again. I'm going to buy it online yes, and then have it ready for me at customer service. Yes. I buy it online. I get an email saying my order was taken. I get an email an hour later saying my order is ready. I go to customer service with my phone. It's waiting for me. And as soon as I leave the store, I get an email saying, thanks for picking up your, you your item. What has to happen in, in the retail space? And I know that's just a sliver of what digital yeah. transformation is. But what has to happen in the retail space for companies to not lose themselves? Because we got a lot of companies that are just, they're, they're falling off the map. They're closing up the stores in the mall because they won't make that pivot. What, what has to happen in the retail space so that more companies don't fall by the wayside? Um, and that's a fascinating topic uh, up here. Um, so uh, three things have to happen in the retail space in particular. Um, the first is that, um, you know, they have to continue their journey of updating and upgrading the way their current operations work. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example of that, right? Um, so, you know, uh, large, several large retailer companies, you know, Nordstrom's and, and, and Neiman Marcus and others, invested a lot of money creating Silicon Valley Labs a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, Target tried to do that. It failed. And then they went back to basics. They said, we're going to improve the back end of how we operate in every store, right? And right now, Target is doing great. Mm -hmm. uh, their sales are up. And, you know, some of these other uh, organizations are still on that journey. So the, the, the point is that you cannot innovate by ignoring the basics. And that's really part of the issue, you know, in your first part of the example with Home Depot, which is, you know, maybe the, the, the back room inventory systems didn't really have the best data, right? So, so you have, so that's first, yeah? Which is, you know, continue to not exclude the focus on the basics, fundamentals, before you start to innovate, yeah? The second thing is that um, what you have to do is follow a, a parallel path, which uh, Google laid out very nicely in a philosophy that they call 70-20-10. So 70% of your capacity on running day-to-day -day operations, 20% on continuous improvement, and 10% on disrupting yourself. Now, that, you know, those percentages are probably fine for tech industry. Retail can't afford 10% of effort uh, to, to reinvent themselves. But whatever the percentage is, you have to then have that you know, additional thing uh, you know, that, that third structure, whether it's 10% or 5% or 1% at PNG, uh, for global business services, you know, we probably put in less than 1%, right? But you do have to have those three distinct buckets, right? The third thing that retail needs to do is then they have to look at completely different um, business models by using their ecosystems, right? Um, so I love the fact that... Um, you know, now uh, Amazon is partnering with, you know, many different stores where you can actually go there and you can drop off your return products, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or, um, and, and that's all about ecosystems, which is you find out what you do well and what you don't, and then you create an ecosystem that you can partner with to do the re remaining. And if you do that, then you're always leveraging your strengths, right? So those are some of the thoughts that, you know, I'm sure there's many other points of view as well, but that's what I think. How does this how does this 
how can these principles also be applied to uh, my career, my growth as as a leader, as someone who wants to be an innovator, who's who's smart, who's technically proficient, but as my career uh, continues on, sometimes I'm not able to get the promotion or uh, the greater opportunity, or I'm not being sought after by different companies. Why is it sometimes easy for us to innovate when it comes to, or change when it comes to uh, our job or our project, but sometimes not so easy when it comes to ourselves and our personal development? Yeah, and and, and that's a really good question, Pierre, um, for two reasons. One is, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, this is this is something that, um, meaning digital transformation and the fourth industrial revolution also affects us as individuals. Um, now, um, so I think there's a couple of things. Um, one is, um, yes, it's always easy to preach than to kind of practice things on yourself. And, okay. and, 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 and uh, you know, that's kind of what you're alluding to, that, that that's what happens with a lot of cases, right? And this was something that I had to hold up the mirror to myself um, a few years ago and say, you know, I might come from the IT industry, but, you know, every three months when I go visit Silicon Valley to check out what's happening with the startup world, um, you know, it's like a new world out there that's changing every three months. So I have to keep updated myself. So I forced myself to get into a routine of, you know, reading at least five articles before I go to bed every night and then, you know, making some notes about that. That was, you know, self-education. So, so, so that's one thing. I mean, the fact is that, you know, we have to all make an effort, right, especially as technology changes this rapidly, right? Um, the other thing is that, um, you know, the same principles of 70-20-10 that I talk about for companies also apply to us as individuals, right? So, you know, yes, we may have a day-to-day job. You know, we may have training that the company gives us or we give ourselves. But we have to keep an eye on the, on the 10, which is the, you know, what could disrupt me? In, in my job, right? And that is an additional responsibility that didn't exist um, when, uh, you know, uh, uh, early on in our career or, or our parents had careers. Uh, there's a very interesting study that says that, you know, in the 1970s, before you actually started a job in a company, uh, you probably knew 70% of the skills that you needed to do the job. Hmm. That percentage today is less than 10% which mm. is, you know, you have to learn on the job, right? And the same thing is true even outside the job. You cannot rely on the job to teach you everything that you need to know in case you leave that, you lose that job. And so you have to make that extra effort. I think this goes into, dovetails in, into the very next thing that I wanted to ask you, and it's, it's, you 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 preach this idea of the necessity, especially in the digital age, in this fourth industrial revolution, of the necessity of staying current uh, as as organizations. Can, do, do you have a story, or can you share a story from your personal experience as a consultant, or maybe something that happened in PNG, where you made some sort of transformation, and maybe one of your clients, or a story you've heard of the transformation was made and then we kind of rested on our laurels and lost all the momentum that was brought about by the actual transformation and end up being worse than before we made the transformation. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I have, a, a, I think, uh, an interesting, um, uh, not an anecdote, but I guess a, a personal experience that I can share. Not exactly what you were describing, but I, I, I think it makes the same point. So, you know, I mentioned that I worked um, at uh, uh, Procter & Gamble's um, uh, global business services and, 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 and IT organization. Mm -hmm. And by all external benchmarks, um, we were considered to be uh, best in class in, you know, the way we delivered internal business operations, whether it's accounting or, or payroll or IT to the rest of the company. Um, and, 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 and that's been great, yes. Um, and then um, about four years ago, I started to worry a little bit about wait a minute, you know, what's next, right? Because I, I know that there is no such thing as best in class, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I actually went out and started to, to talk to these hundred different organizations that I mentioned at the start. Uh, and, and one of them was actually um, a, a company called Atlassian that makes an Australian company that makes um, uh, software products, right, for IT programmers. And I was benchmarking their, um, their shared services, um, uh, you know, the back-end offices. Um, and so I asked a question about, hey, you know, how do you guys run your uh, shared services? And they said, what are you talking about? What is shared services, right? <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I tried to break it down. I said, you know, let's take HR or payroll or travel and expenses, right? Who does that stuff? And they said, you know, well, that's the HR function, right? And so, you know, in, in my uh, assumed mental superiority, I said, aha, you know, so these guys are <laughs> about two decades behind where we were. And so I said, okay, all right. So tell me across the world, across your 10 subsidiaries, you know, how many HR people do you have? And they said, well, you know, across the world, we have about uh, 25 HR people, right? And that kind of blew me away because, you know, global company with only 25 people. Mm -hmm. And they saw the surprise on my face and they thought it was too many and they got defensive. And they said, whoa, wait a minute. You know, you have to understand that we keep hiring. We keep doubling our headcount every year. So half the job for these guys is just hiring. And, you know, that, that was a little too much because, you know, now you're up to like 1.25 HR people per country running the operations and no back offices at all. Mm -hmm. right? And so that, that's an example of you may think you're really, really good and you may be in a context. So um, it, is, it is right that, you know, in, with, among large companies, among medium and large companies, we were extremely good. But amongst the startups that operate just very, very differently, they have a completely different benchmark. And so you have to be extremely careful to, to keep upping the bar, right? Because there's always going to be a disruptor around the corner. How have you navigated the, the executive space, the professional space? Uh, sometimes you are, you've been on teams or you have been consulting with individuals who maybe have more experience than you in a certain area, a different level of proficiency or expertise, but you're, you're looking to provide value uh, to them. How do you, how have you in your career? And I'm, and I'm talking especially to my emerging, my younger leaders who yes. sometimes find themselves in this space. How, how do you deal with that particular tension and still provide value? Sometimes even when the situation is contentious, when people look at you and say, well, you don't know what I know. You haven't been what I've been, but I'm supposed to look at you, look to you for advice. Yes. Um, and, and that is, um, that is a very real uh, issue um, because, you know, in your career, you're always going to run up um, against people that, 
you know, nor their specific work or their specific business, you know, inside out. Um, and, you know, you're just, uh, you know, somebody that's come in recently or maybe you're younger than they are and you're supposed to manage them. Um, so um, uh, very early on in my career, you know, one of my uh, managers um, talked about the principle of humility with self-confidence, right? Um, and uh, what that is, is uh, first and foremost, humility um, to, you know, not go in all cocky and say, well, yes, you may be older, but I'm, a, I'm your boss. So, you know, you may be an expert, but, you know, I'm a consultant that's been called in to fix your space, right? Hmm. Uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that basically gets people to completely switch off. And once they switch off, you fail. So I think being hum- humble to say, hey, I acknowledge the fact that, you know, you've got something, you've got the experience that I don't have, right? Uh, but I'm here, and that's where the self-confidence comes in, um, because, you know, obviously of ABC skills, right? Or ABC goals, right? And, and we have to work together on this one, right? That becomes extremely important. Um, you can't go either of the two extremes. You can't go all cocky, or you can't go the other extreme of being, you know, uh, a doormat, and then you know nobody ever listens to you, right? So that that's really the the fine line that 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 you have to walk there: the humility as well as the self confidence. So let let me ask you this question before we run out of time in our in our conversation. Now you've been in this IT space, you've been in the technology space. You 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 work with digital transformation, uh, teaching it, helping people understanding it, understand it, take companies through it. But this is a very big question. Let let me know when you're ready for it. (laughs) Go for it. Okay. So the question is, when you have problems with tech, do you have to call your daughters to ask for help? Oh, have they been talking to you? <laughs> oh, of course I do. <laughs> that is that is absolutely true. Um, you know, we, we we may have had the the um, I may have had the uh, the the pedigree of of having managed large uh, tech organizations and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, but when it comes to the latest, you know, cool trick on Facebook, uh, my daughters, who by the way, neither of them know anything of IT formally in terms of education. They have me beat, um, and I have to acknowledge that absolutely any day. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a young professional uh, in the IT space, or I'm a consultant, or I'm a student interested in digital transformation, or maybe I am a college professor see, uh, getting ready to teach a class on this particular topic. Why should I pick up a copy of Why Digital Transformations Fail? Um, so uh, the, the book is um, a first of a kind that takes this incredibly buzzwordy, complicated topic of digital transformation and makes it checklist simple, um, quite literally by applying some of the checklist methodologies that's been used in aviation and medical uh, industries. Um, to, to address this 70% failure rate of digital transformations. And it's based, obviously, on real practical experience. Um, I'm a storyteller. I try and bring things to life by using at least, you know, three or four stories every chapter. So hopefully, you know, it's, it's, it's not just a dry subject, but it's an extremely practical, you know, uh, as I said, checklist simple approach 
to what I think is a very, very existential uh, issue uh, for all of us in the fourth industrial revolution. Tony, how can we find out more about your work or pick up a copy of the book? Where, where are the links that you want to send us to? Um, so uh, the book is available wherever books are sold. Um, so online, Amazon, any of the bookstores, uh, any of the formats, audio, um, uh, PDF, or, uh, or hardcover. And um, the, the website is www.whydigitaltransformationsfail.com uh, or uh, my company, which is www.transformant.io. So that's transform and the insect ant kind of mushed together in one word, dot uh, io, India Oscar. And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes so that we have no excuse. We can click on it and get to where we need to be. My guest today has been Tony Saldana, author of the book, Why Digital Transformations Fail, The Surprising Disciplines of How to Take Off and Stay Ahead. Tony, thanks for being my guest today. Uh, Thank you, Pierre. Thanks for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Great conversation with Tony Saldana about his new book, Why Digital Transformations Fail. And we want you to pick up a copy of his book. Head over to whydigitaltransformationsfail.com and you'll see the links to order your copy of his book. I'll also put it in the show notes so that you have no excuse. You can also check out more about Tony's work at transformant.io. That's transformant.io. Hey, that's all I got for this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast. You know it's my mission to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.